welcome. You're listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We're a team of five badass women who will be your sommeliers to the marketing world. We work and whiteboard together at our nine to five every day in B2B marketing. We're a small, scrappy team that's picked up a few secret hacks along the way, and we want to share our crazy ideas with you. Let's call it an anything but ordinary guide to marketing and design. From Chardonnay to Rosé, we've got your marketing sips and design tips. Now that's worth raising a glass to, so grab your favorite vino and join us. Hi there, welcome back to another episode of Wine and Whiteboards. Today, we're talking about virtual events, specifically as it relates to sponsors. So even though we're still in the middle of a global pandemic, you have to hit your event revenue goals. And the question becomes, how do you handle sponsors when you have to pivot your in-person event to a virtual one? Typically, that involves getting creative. There's still a lot of ways out there to keep your sponsors happy and to bring in revenue in a virtual environment. So why don't you grab a glass of wine and we'll show you how. But before we do that, we're gonna share what we're drinking today. So let me grab my glass of wine. I've got, it's it's kind of a funny wine name. It's a the Dead Canyon Ranch. It's a wet, a wed wine. <laughs> oh, wed wine. Wed wine. <laughs> I already have a lot to drink. No, just kidding. It's a red blend. And I got it in my Cellar 313 wine club it says that it's a wine that plays well with chocolate since we're in the month of love with valentine's day having just happened what is funny about this part i was reading their back of it is kind of funny the reason it's named dead canyon is because it was really bad conditions like it was fierce winds brutal land and so nothing would grow there but they did find that it was a great place to grow grapes and they call them luscious, thick-skinned grapes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it says this wine's background reminds us that one man's lifeless land is another winemaker's fruitful treasure. And it's from Horse Heaven Hills, which sounds like a nice Where's place that? to visit. It's in California. No, it's in Washington State, JK. I can't read. <laughs> and it says that it's a blend of Cabernet, Syrah, Merlot, Malbec, Petite, Verdo and Mourvedre. It's a French word, and I'm totally butchering it. So it's having an identity crisis. It, it is. Know what it is. It is. I never. I didn't know. I guess I, I knew agree. blends. Like a new blends could have so many different grapes, but I didn't know it was like five or seven different grapes. Did you know that? I don't know. My new um, impression of blends is what's left at the bottom of the barrel to fill up <laughs> a bottle. Like like when there's like four drops left in all the barrels. That's just blend. Honestly, I always like blends though, so I guess I can't say it's bad. Yeah. No, I was good. So myself, Paige, I'm kind of in the same thing where the chocolate flavor mixes really well. I found a really good non-alcoholic chocolate milk stout beer. I found really good success with beers that were non-alcoholic, not as much as wine. So I'm kind of indulging on that. And the brand is Untitled Art. So if you are in the same boat as me, go check them out because I've loved it so far. And actually tastes like beer. So I'm really happy. I'm jealous. I feel like you guys are always so intentional with your chocolate and the month of love and Valentine's Day. I just, I, I can't plan that much. <laughs> All right. 
I'm drinking Espuela del Gaucho. I feel like I may have had it on the episode before, or I guess on the podcast before. It's a Malbec. I don't really have anything special to say about it, but this last line on the bottle is pretty funny. He rides by saddle and spur, protector of the fruits of the land. Talking about the gaucho. <laughs> El- you can have the fruits of my land. I'm just kidding. That's, that's bad. <laughs> it reminded me of like a cowboy or something. There. <laughs> well, I think that's what a gaucho is, right? Oh, is it like a cowboy? No. I think so. So I just read you the last sentence. I can give you a little bit more. A keeper of the grasslands, defender of the defenseless, the most passionate of lovers, and maybe he can have the fruits of your land, and a charming <laughs> combatant. The South American gaucho is a man of heavy manners and tall reputation. So I looked it up, and a gaucho is a cowboy of the South American pampas. Oh. And you can use it in phrases such as the Artinian gauchos. So Are pampas those grass things that are really popular right now for interior decorating, and they're, like, way too expensive? Not sure. Let me Google that for I you, did too. Think it, I did think pampas were grasslands, so I don't know if those are the ones people are using for weddings. I've seen them in bouquets a lot when yeah. they have a boho feel. Mm-hmm. It is the extensive treeless plains in South America. So I'm not sure why they're gathering plants and calling them pampas because it says there's treeless plains. So I don't know. It doesn't give me the sense that there's it's a lot like, of plants. Um, it's the fluffy, like tall grass looking things. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so maybe they're like grassland. I guess plains do have grass. They just don't have trees. So that makes they're sense. Like clumps. Also, can I? Gaucho pants is all I'm thinking of every time somebody says gaucho, and it doesn't relate to, like, a cowboy of the South. Well, do the cowboys wear, like, big, wide-legged pants? Like, maybe? the pants that go over their other pants. Like, so I feel like what they call those boots? chaps. Oh, well. Chaps aren't, like, baggy gauchos, though. God. I wanted to ask them the trivia question that RJ gave us earlier today, Charlotte. Yes. What country is the largest exporter of beef? I would guess the U.S. That's what I guessed. But I'm guessing it's not because that's why Sarah's intrigued to ask us this. I actually changed my answer before already told (laughs) us the answer. And I said it was Japan because I was thinking like exporter. So like they have to get the beef out. So I'm like, okay, well, who like ships beef out? And I was like, well, maybe like Waigu, because I feel like they would not keep a lot of it. They would ship it out to other countries. But that was also. I don't don't think there's enough land. I'm going to guess it's like Mexico or Brazil or something. Ding, ding, ding. It's Brazil. We were joking because they have all those Brazilian steakhouses, so they know their meats. Yeah. (laughs) The gauchos have their steak. (gasps) Those pants. That's where they're from. Like at Texas Day Brazil or what was the one? That was by our the Texas uh, oh, Bola Chow. Yes, those people. That's their pants that they wear when they're at work. Is the gaucho? <laughs> I never noticed this. I've sorry. been um, boycotting the Brazilian steakhouses for a few years. The amount of meat just kind of makes me sick. And I'm yeah. not like a vegetarian or anything, but something about being in there with like all the meat just makes me a little bit like. Mm, I don't know. I agree. It makes me want to be a vegetarian when I'm there. 
I have to say, I've never been to a Brazilian steakhouse, so I'm kind of sad because now the idea of going there with COVID and then having people just like slice off pieces of meat as they wander around with a rack of it for like all the exposure, like sounds really horrible. The best part of those steakhouses, the best part of those steakhouses is honestly the like the sides and all and like the salad bar and stuff because like their salad bar isn't just a salad bar it's also like a giant charcuterie board and like it it yeah that's the best part at all these calories yeah this face says she does not agree no it's definitely that every slice you get is hot and warm and then you can just get more coming back to you so i'm i kind of found them delicious <laughs> see i'm on the train with katie where like it kind of like I had a thought the other day, actually, I was making some salmon and I was like, this actually used to be a living fish. What if we ate people the way we ate animals? Would we still eat meat? And I was like, no, we wouldn't. Like, and I had like this like wormhole thought and I like almost couldn't eat my fish. Well, <laughs> there are some people that might still be <laughs> That's very true. I forget who I was talking to. I feel like they might've been slightly disturbed by the conversation, but it was like, if you had to choose between eating human or dog, what would you eat? This took a real dark turn. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I feel like no. you need to start a Twitter account that's like Charlotte's <laughs> Deep Thoughts. Because <laughs> <laughs> you said your favorite part about going out to eat is the salad bar. Like, why waste my calories on that? No, and then like all the cheeses and like charcuterie and like, oh my gosh, the like different types of salads like potato salads and like spreads and like oh that's like my that's it's my jam like 60 dollars a person to well, eat no, there if you're dis- eating salad it's a discounted rate if you only get the salad bar yeah if you just get the salad bar i'm pretty sure it's only like 25 dollars because i've done it before 25 dollars salads no, 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 no. Okay, I'm going to get us back on track. This is Kelly. Hey, Kelly. I am drinking Jameson and lemonade today because mm. um, I've been craving it after doing dry January. Obviously, wine was the first thing I needed to have, but I also was craving this. And also, the sun is out. It was feeling very spring-like, and the red wine wasn't just going to go with that spring flow. So, Is that your go-to for uh, St. Patrick's Day, too? <sighs> It's kind of like a mix. I like to have some Jameson, but also green beer. Even yeah. if I have to make it myself, I'll do it. That's fair. I am drinking J, I don't know how to say this, and it's a really common wine, J Lore. And it's their cab. Again, nothing super fancy. I don't have the bottle in front of me to be able to read any fun or exciting sentences about it. Um, pretty sure it's from California. So... Yeah, nothing exciting there. We probably covered all the exciting wine facts for today. (laughs) So with that, we are going to start talking about how you can pivot your sponsors from an in-person event to a virtual event. Because as Sarah mentioned earlier, events come with a lot of challenges when you're trying to pivot from in-person to virtual. But it can also make you think about what can you do differently? How do you grow and how do you come up with some new innovative ideas? And the revenue that you get from sponsors is typically a really important aspect of the event because a lot of times that's what helps you either make your event profitable or if your event is more of a loss leader, at least break even. So we actually had to solicit sponsors for our annual event that we host every year. We've done it for four years now. And sponsors always seems to be like a sticking point because you're always thinking about your attendees 
and how do you create a really good attendee experience? And sometimes the sponsors tend to fall to the wayside. So we realized last year that we needed to kind of take a different approach. And it was also the first year that we pivoted to virtual. So what we share with you today is going to be probably more so from like our lessons learned and speaking from a place of what we would do differently and what we plan to do this year versus maybe what we've historically done, because we definitely know that it is not an easy task to number one, go out and sell because getting sponsors is selling. So if you're not a salesperson, that's already a challenge. And number two, adding value in a virtual environment is so much more difficult than adding value in an in-person environment because sponsors often want to like meet face to face and have conversations and be able to follow like putting a face to a name and having a in-person conversation is just such a different dynamic and you build a relationship and you build rapport versus virtual and virtual also tends to be more more optional like if you're in like a technology platform or something like it's not like you're walking by these booths where people can kind of grab you or you're in a session talking to somebody or at a networking event having a drink it's it's much more it feels more transactional virtually and that becomes a challenge i will say one of the things we did do maybe right i don't know kind of right last year was we did create a sales deck that helped describe the different types of events and opportunities we had available for sponsorships. And to do that, we actually took our old sponsorship deck and then kind of went point by point through it and reevaluated if that sponsorship opportunity was still viable in a virtual environment. And if it wasn't because it was like hosting lunch or coffee or I don't know, something that was more tangible that was very specific to being in person, we thought about ways that we could adapt it and make it virtual. And if we couldn't figure out how to make it work in a virtual environment, then we scratched that altogether. So Sarah, that's a really good point because not everything is going to translate from in-person to virtual. So you kind of have to be able to weed out what's not going to work or what you have to pivot and change in order for it to work because your entire environment is different. And I think another key point there is to think about your sponsors as partners. Because in order to make it a mutually beneficial situation, it has to be a two-way street where you can share what your goals are and they need to be able to share with you what their goals are. So things are going to constantly evolve and change and making sure that you have that relationship and that dialogue is going to be key. Because as Sarah mentioned, like creating a sales deck is important that breaks down all of your different opportunities. But before you share that with your sponsors or potential sponsors, making sure you have the conversation about like, what is their goal? How are they going to like, what are they looking to achieve and what do they need in order to be able to justify sponsoring this event? Because you might learn things that aren't in your sales deck, whereas if you had pitched them your sales deck right off the bat, they might they may say no. But if you have that dialogue, it might change and you can shift and pivot and accommodate them. So I'm curious, you guys didn't really know, obviously, going into 2020 that we were going to have to go virtual for our event. Our event's usually in October, and we kind of start planning at the beginning of the year. And so I assume, based on what we've done in the past, you guys already have sponsors kind of picked out or at least contacted by the summer. Did you kind of already have that in place, or were you delaying doing that until we knew virtual or in-person? 
That's a really good question. I don't remember. So it's always on our list of things, like obviously when we're starting, we do our kickoff for the event and start planning. But I feel like we've engaged sponsors later in the process. So I think we knew we were going virtual at that point before we engaged sponsors last year. Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong. Last year was the year we thought we were going to be really on top of sponsorships. So we had <laughs> a person within our organization that was actually going to help sell the sponsorships because it's not necessarily a strength of mine or Charlotte's. So we had someone else who was actually going to go out and solicit sponsors. We had created a full spreadsheet of all the sponsors that we wanted to reach out to. We had tapped our, we have like another organization that hosts the, hosts the event with us. So we had tapped them to see who they had personal connections with. And then anyone who they didn't know personally, we were going to reach out to with more of like a cold ask or call. We have that like semi ready to go and then the world fell apart as we knew it and so then i think we had to kind of hit pause until we could turn things around and at that point i feel like it became like june july before we got anything like firmed up so it did put like a wrench in everything and push it way out further than we would have liked to it got but really challenging because i feel like we hit a pinch point where we were like we have to get our sponsors set because you do have to incorporate them into the event and you only have so much time to do that because our event was in October and we weren't locking in some of these sponsors until like September, like a month before the event. And that gets really, really challenging. Whereas if you can get ahead of things, you can at least evolve and pivot if things change. But when you're doing it last minute, it gets really not enjoyable. I will note that I do think we tried to communicate any and all changes that we had with our sponsors. So I feel like we might have done some initial reach outreach and then we had to keep them posted as we evolved and figured out what was if the event was going to be virtual, in person, canceled, like what it was going to look like. And we might have even had a tentative agenda that we showed them, but obviously we told them like the caveat that things were and could change and were very flexible at that point. And since there's this crisis in the pandemic, people's budget has probably dramatically changed, or at least they're trying to be more conservative with it. So I know that you guys had a couple bullets in here about like asking them what their budget is with COVID or asking if they're suffering or if they would be willing to have a sponsorship, but maybe a lower tier, those types of things. Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is that majority of businesses, I mean, revenues are down. Like, I think there are very few businesses where revenues are up, except for maybe like Zoom or like, I don't know, other platforms that actually benefit from the pandemic. Amazon. Uh, what was that, Kelly? Amazon. Yeah, true. Oh my gosh, so true. So like the reality is everyone's revenues are down or almost everybody's. And that's definitely going to impact their ability to engage with your virtual event. So understanding the answers to these questions and then what their goals are, because if their revenue is down, obviously they're going to have to sell and they're going to have to find ways to increase their revenue and get new customers and everything like that. So they are still going to be looking for those opportunities, but they have to find ones that are within their means. So another thing to make sure that you're asking is like, does your staff even have the bandwidth right now to take on new opportunities or events? Because a lot of organizations had to let people go 
or they have limited hours or, you know, they're trying to cover for other people that had that were let go. And there's just like a lot of different dynamics. So understanding their bandwidth to even deliver on some of the things that they might need to provide in order for you to bring their sponsorship benefits to life. And then another thing too to ask is when they will want to make their decision, because you need to have an idea of when you can expect them to say yes or no, because you have to plan your work accordingly as well. Because if they're going to make a decision, if your event's in October and they're going to make their decision in September, I mean, that's not very helpful to you. (laughs) And I would say like, okay, great, thanks. But I mean, can can we do this sooner? Is there anything we can do to shift this forward? Is it, you know, is it a price cut? Is it, you know, what do you need? Can we help you with some of the execution and seeing how you can help, you know, get them to a better spot? So does that pretty much kick it off for what we're talking about today with transitioning from in-person to virtual events? You've contacted your sponsors or you're at least getting prepared to. So now what's the next steps? And you guys laid it out with like, Asking your sponsors their goals, I think, is the main thing that we're going to talk about today. So what do they want to achieve? Because in-person versus versus virtual, like we said, is very different. So that's going to be a different conversation this year than back in 2020. And how can you help them accomplish that is something I think we're going to walk through today. Your sponsors can have a lot of different goals. Like all of your sponsors might not have the same goal. So it could be anywhere from spreading brand awareness to showing their own thought leadership, to meeting and qualifying potential leads, to moving leads along the sales funnel, or even deepening relationships with clients if you happen to host an event and a lot of your clients are already attending or it might be a good fit for them to attend. Once you know your sponsor's goals, you can tailor your sponsorship packages and ask accordingly. And before you get fully into things, you can actually do this like later on in the game, but you can walk your sponsors through what your online meeting platform options or technology might be. That'll help give them a sense of what they're signing up for. I know we experienced quite a few different platforms last year. A lot of them were through Zoom or different things, but one of them was this like Echo I think it was, what was it, Echo Virtual Technology, where it was almost like a Sims game where you had, you created like an avatar and you could talk to people and you could walk around and you had to go to different locations. And in theory, it sounded really cool. It looked cool because to be fair, it kind of was like you were playing a video game. So there was like that gamification aspect. But it honestly was a lot of work to get logged in and figure out how to use it and set up your booth and have someone that was supposed to man the booth at all times and to know who you're talking to. Even I found walking around was really hard and it made the sounds like you were stepping. So it had it was cool from the aspect of like engaging your senses, but also it was hard. Like we our director of growth had to do a presentation through it and I had to get on multiple calls with him. I had to log in. I had to get everything set up and just trying to figure that out was a lot more work than I think I wanted to sign up for. And we were just a sponsor of that conference. So just knowing what your sponsors are signing up for is probably very helpful. Sarah, were you able to go in and like play around with that a little bit and understand how the platform worked before the event started? Yeah, I was, so that was good. 
I think I didn't even understand what to do at first, though. Like, literally, at one point, I was IMing or mess emailing the, like, the host to be like, I'm in a weird room with a man. <laughs> and by that, I meant that was apparently my avatar, but, like, no one told me that it literally just dropped you into a room, and I was set up as a man, which was confusing to me, and I was like, I don't know what to do. And then later, I realized it was, like, a dressing room, and so I was supposed to pick my outfit and change myself, and then somehow I was supposed to realize I needed to get out of it and exit it to be in the rest of the environment. But literally, she was like, oh, I don't know where you are or who you're with <laughs> it was like i'm with myself i am me but i am a man and it was like very confusing like i don't know how to explain this experience to you guys but i wish i maybe i should have read more documentation it was nice i got to do this well before the conference and they were very accommodating like letting you come in during different sessions and pop in and stuff but i feel like that was probably really exhausting for the host of that conference to have to do this with all these people because i had no clue what was going on and i was so just like i don't know how to talk i don't know where i am like it had all these proximity things like if you you had to be within a certain distance of rooms to hear like if you went into a room you could hear things but if you're outside of the room you couldn't hear things which honestly is cool technology but yeah, it sounds so. really expensive, but also like maybe not a super great experience. I don't know. I mean, I, maybe it was a great experience for the attendees. I don't know. Yeah, let's hope so. I feel like thinking about it from like, so as an organization, like at, coming from an organization that where we've participated in virtual events, it's definitely like it's really challenging and the experience is really important as sarah was saying like it was so difficult to get into that environment the other thing that's worth noting too is i feel like a big thing that continues to be a, a trend or like a go-to for virtual sponsorships is having like your breakout room where you have a room which is technically your booth if you go to trade shows and people can just go to like this list of sponsors and pop into your booth and like the chances of somebody just popping into your booth are very very slim and then if you want that to even be somebody who's like a qualified prospect is going to be even more slim so thinking through like it might sound good in theory where you're like okay i'm translating a in-person booth to a virtual booth but does that actually make sense and is it is it helpful and is it valuable and is it going to deliver on the proper results? Because that's painful. I'm envisioning like if you're in a conference hall, right? And you're walking down the hallway and you can't hear what's happening in those conference rooms until you go in the room. So I get the theory behind it being cool, but we still can't even understand when people are like, you're on mute, you're on mute. Like we've been doing this for a year. So I don't think nobody would picture like, figure out how to do that and change that they're in a room they have to change and then walk down a hallway there's no way yeah I would like to think I'm semi-tech savvy and I did not know what was happening and no offense to the community that we put an event on for but I had so many people who didn't even know where to find the link just to log in and they were so confused about that and I was like I can't imagine if this was something you had to log into beforehand and set up your profile and your avatar and figure out how to walk around and that you should really click instead of walking with your little space buttons. And like, I just, I'm envisioning if you have an older population that this just will not go over well. Like, I think I, 
would have pulled my hair out if we had gone that route. And it was cool in theory, but I don't, I don't know if it really like added enough to it. And maybe it did from an attendee perspective, but from like a sponsor perspective, I found it really stressful, annoying, and it took way more time than I had dedicated to it. So it just wasn't so in the that's, that's an interesting point, Sarah, because like I feel like the the event we had, we had two platforms that we used. We used Zoom for like the actual presentation piece. And then we used something called swap card, which we can actually link to or share. That was kind of our hub for all of the resources. And you could actually just log into swap card and you could access the link to get into every session you could. And every session had the same zoom link. I want to be very clear that our event was very simple in that sense that it didn't have multiple tracks. It didn't, it wasn't overly complex. And people still struggled with that. So if you're hosting an event where there's multiple sessions happening at the same time or, you know, different breakout rooms and different agendas that people need to build and an exhibit hall and all these things, that is so much for people to take in because just for people to log into this one piece of technology, that's all they had to do, log in one place. They didn't have to set up a profile, really. They didn't have to set up an avatar. They didn't have to do anything. And we still got tons of questions. And even the day of, people get angry because they can't access it and the event's already started or whatever. Imagine that magnified times like 10 if you have multiple different places that people need to be going. So simple is key if you can keep it simple and try to keep everything in one place. And because I do think it makes it very challenging for, for people. That or you have to have a big enough staff that can handle it. Because I definitely know I couldn't handle the support, like questions and emails and chat as it was happening during our event. It was too many different places to look and too many different people messaging at the same time that I was like, I can't keep up. Sarah was like running around trying to solve all these problems on the back end while trying to monitor like the event. So sounds like a nightmare. It was. We learned you should have you should invest in technology. As we just said, be careful you don't get something too complex, but do it make sure you invest in a good like either tech person or platform that comes with support or something that can be your backup. We actually have an episode out where we dive into all of that that you can already uh, listen to that you can go already that you can go listen to. The first goal that many sponsors have is just spreading brand awareness and making people aware of their brand or their solution or their product. And that means they're just looking for those opportunities to expose people to what they do and how they can help. So in my personal opinion, that means not just slapping a logo on something like a website banner, because just because somebody sees your logo doesn't mean they know what you do or how you solve their problems. So if you feel like you're offering logo visibility and think that that's going to be a high value, a high value sponsorship benefit, I would ask you to reflect on that and see if that's really the truth, unless a brand is highly known. Obviously, if Amazon puts their logo on something, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, Amazon. But most people are not Amazon. That's what I was just about to say. Like, if you're well known, I've seen a lot where like MasterCard does that. And it's like, okay, everyone knows what MasterCard is. If you don't, I'd be shocked. 
So it's like those larger brains, I think they're able to do that because it's just like, oh, one more touch point of a recognition versus if it's a company that's smaller and you don't know who the hell they are, you really need to do this brand recognition or at least to get the awareness out. And that's this whole step. Has anybody ever gone and purchased something because they saw like a massive company logo on like a sponsorship or like Create and Cultivate, for example, MasterCard was the big sponsor there and they had their logo slapped everywhere. Obviously, we all know who MasterCard is. Were you like, I'm going to go get a MasterCard now? Like, I've never done that. I always wonder what the point of it is. Like, if it's just that they have to get it out there so they're competing against Amex and they, they see both of them regularly, then they're like, oh, I'll just go with whatever. I always am curious about that too of like I'd like to know. Create and cultivate though like some of the people there were like starting their own business or founding it so depending on the size of your business if your employees get their own credit card you might decide to go with the MasterCard Uh, employee whatever it's called like corporate card system. I don't know if that's entirely true and obviously you probably need a decent sized business to start doing that but even even if you're just one credit card you can probably start racking up some rewards if they allow you to do that. And I'm pretty sure Create and Cultivate is targeted towards, I mean, it's women entrepreneurs. So you're absolutely right, Sarah. I think business cards, you tend to be more particular about what you're getting and what the rewards are and why. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. But even so, like, I don't feel like I remember that value I don't feel like that was communicated to us at all. I think Sarah's really smart and she probably put it together, but who's to say that anyone else would do that? I feel like you're absolutely right. Because my first thought is MasterCard. Well, I'm not going to go get a MasterCard. I already have my Visa and my Amex and I'm good. So maybe they didn't do it in the right way, right? Like they slapped a logo on something, but they didn't provide enough value behind it. Because think about... This might be jumping ahead of us, but think about the Not Your Mothers. They did a whole experience thing where they did the ice cream social. They gave us the cool hair masks that were Not Your Mothers. And then they were like scented and flavored. Like the ice cream was flavored based on the scent of the hair products, right? So that was a cool branding experience. That still had their logo all over things. But we got to eat something. We got to smell and taste something. So, like, that was all the encompassing senses. And that made me, I actually have their dry shampoo right now because I was like, that shit was good. And it's called Toasted Coconut, and it smells really good. Also, we didn't go as business owners. And Mm -hmm. so that's why our minds maybe didn't put it together as maybe thinking about MasterCard as our company credit card, whereas maybe some of those other people might have thought that. That's a really good point. Like our persona of who we were coming in as was different than probably a lot of the attendees. That's a good point. I agree with you, Sarah, about the not your mothers, because I feel like now, because they also gave out samples with the ice cream flavors. So like I had all these samples and like I really enjoy like those conditioner masks and stuff like the for your hair. Like, so yeah, definitely like a repeat customer now because I was able to get the free samples. I was able to have like an experience and it makes a difference. I remember walking in their booth and they're like, take as many as you want. And we're like, oh, yes. <laughs> they had full size guys. They had full size bottles. And I was like, oh my gosh, curl, like curl creams and stuff. Like, heck yes. So, and, and if you didn't have a bag, they were like, here, here's a bag. Load up. There's more down on the bottom shelves. They were all about it. That makes me happy. I like sponsors like that. Can I say I want their marketing budget? Because that sounds amazing to just be like, have all the swag. Take it. We don't want it. 
It's true. They probably didn't want to ship it all back wherever they came from. So true. I get that. Um, I've done that before. Exactly. Me too. Like, take it. Take it. it. I ship it. Do you want this water bottle that I can't like fit anywhere? <laughs> I'm not kidding. The last day of an event, I'm like, take it all. I'm not shipping this back or carrying it in my bag. Like the last thing you want to do when you're tired after the end of an event is like go to FedEx and pack everything up and like have to ship it out. Ugh. Because my new theory about swag is that we have to get things that are like collapsible, lightweight, very small, very thin profile, nothing bulky or heavy or breakable anymore. Like none of it. We can't do that. There's not enough room to store it, pack it, ship it. It takes up a lot of room. But if we go back to logos, I know we say not to just slap a logo on something, but... I do love a good piece of swag. So, like, if you give out good swag, swag that people can use that's practical or fun, you could put your logo on a piece of swag that goes in, like, a mailed swag box or something like that. We used to obviously do swag bags, but when you go virtual, we changed it to a mailed swag box, which I think we'll get into the logistics of that in a future episode. One of our sponsors did put this, like, tangle thing in the swag box, and well, I'm pretty sure I knocked it like entirely. I thought she I thought she had a typo because they were sending us sunglasses and she wrote, Tangles are on the way. And I'm like, WTF is a tangle. I was like, you mean sunglasses? She's like, nope, tangles. And I'm like, oh my God, what are we getting? And I Googled them and I was like, this is the dumbest piece of crap. And now it's the one thing that made it out of my box onto my desk and I totally play with it all the time when we're on meetings and I feel like fidgety and I can't sit here anymore. So I don't know. Tangles it is. Disclaimer, this is not an ad for Tangles. No. <laughs> I don't think people would even know what a Tangle is unless we were to send them a we picture. Should, yeah, it's like, it reminds me of something when you're a kid. Like what, like these, do you think these have been around for like 20 years or is that wrong? Yes. Yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah. You can like pull it apart and it twists in different ways. I really like this one because it's clear purple. And I've never put, seen like, that before in my life. Really? We should get a picture of this and use it as a social post for when we're it's like totally promoting shit. this episode. Like, want to know what a tangle is? Let Sarah tell you what she thought about them. Like, she's like, I'm also oh, still yeah. not convinced that I would like it. Oh, so Katie, you just think you won't? And then you have it in front of you and you like don't know what to do with yourself because you've been sitting on meetings all day and you just start playing with the tangle because you're like, ooh. Also, Katie is lying because we've all seen this on a call with all of us together where we were going through options. So you just don't remember because you probably have more higher priorities with the daughter and all. Well, I have seen it with Sarah. I think I was probably on maternity leave when you guys were going through swag. But I have seen it with Sarah. I meant, like, before this, when we were like, oh, was this a thing? I saw it at, like, there's a store in my hometown that was, like, kind of like a science-type store. Enerdyne? It was Enerdyne, yeah, yeah. And, like, I feel like they had a lot of stuff like this, like, puzzle-type things. And, like, I definitely remember seeing Tangles there. And it was, like, a kid's toy thing. Well, anyways... Back to the topic. He's like, oh, let's get back on track, please. I got to make dinner here in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I really loved your your example of the not your mother's. And since that was an in-person thing that I don't think can translate because it's ice cream and whatnot, we created a list of fun ones that people can do virtually. So I'm going to list them off. 
feel free to jump in, Sarah. I know you tested some of these at our conference. Chair yoga, which I find kind of, why not, I guess. <laughs> trivia contests, those are always a hit. People have used Kahoot with that to do the trivia. We actually did it at our company last weekend or last week and it went well. Jeopardy, you got scavenger hunts, which I've heard people do where like, go in your house and grab this, this, and this, and whoever can come back with the most things wins something and you get sent home with an award. Those are fun. We actually turned it into like a pseudo session too, because what we said is like, go in your house and find something that represents one of your largest challenges that you experience in your job. And so like some people like went and grabbed like scissors, right? And they're like, oh, like everything is so like difficult. And I just want to like, it's, it was really interesting. And then some people brought like, oh, like a teddy bear. Cause it reminds me of this like specific instance or interaction that I had with somebody. So like, it was really cool to see what people grabbed. And then we had people share their stories or why they grabbed it. And it was really cool to hear other people's challenges or like fond memories of certain types of situations or, you know, engagements. Definitely. You guys also did a cocktail happy hour the day before. Or the Was it the Friday before? We actually changed this up. That was our initial idea was to do like a virtual happy hour and bring in like a mixologist to create an experience. But we were having trouble figuring out how interactive that could be. So on the Friday before we did a pep rally and one of our speakers kind of hosted it to get everyone excited, introduced them to the platform. They could ask any questions. And we did the uh, stand up. So we brought in a comedian, an improv person who did like an improv activity. And she had it all adjusted for virtual. Is that where you were thinking of, Sarah? No, I felt like there was something else we did on the pep rally. <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of what it is. Never mind. But yeah, we did do the comedian improv thing. Oh, at the pep rally, we had them open their boxes. Oh, yes. So like the swag boxes that we sent them, it was supposed to be like, get excited, figure out your stuff. And we had them like, we told them in an email, and some people I'm sure didn't do this, but we asked them to wait to open their swag boxes until we got on the call so people could kind of unbox them together and have like an experience. And some people did wait. I would and not like, wait. Yeah, I wouldn't either, especially with our box. Like it looked really cool. So if I got that box in the mail, I would have been like, I'm totally opening this. But yeah, some people actually waited until the pep rally and they they got to unbox it together and go through what was in the box and that sort of thing. We did have a few people that said they weren't excited for another virtual event, but once they attended the pep rally and they opened the swag box, like it got them excited and kind of created that more tangible experience that they were looking for. So, I don't know, always something to consider. And again, sponsors can sponsor the swag box or the items in the box or the happy hour or the improv or the comedian. There are lots of things you can do for an experience. I think P Peter keeps throwing in this juggling thing. I have yet to see a virtual juggling. <laughs> virtual juggler, like sponsorship opportunity. What about a magician? That would be, fun. be entertaining. Katie's on this carnival kick where she wants like a, a virtual carnival. <laughs> I honestly just feel like it would be so easy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because I love so a good magician. But like, 
I feel like being virtual, people would be like, no, he didn't do that. Or like, you'd be easy to call them out. Because yeah. I love a good in-person magician. I'm a sucker. That's true. The other thing too that's interesting when we're talking about like things that people can sponsor in terms of like brand awareness, Paige had mentioned earlier like trivia or any types of like games that help like test knowledge or even if they're just like breaks, you can have sponsors provide like prizes to those like those contests or game winners or what have you. We definitely had a few of those where where the prizes were brought to them by, you know, this such and such sponsor. Because that definitely helps get their name out there. So we had each session sponsored by a particular organization or spo- sponsored by a sponsor. Yeah, that sounds annoying to say. But we had short, like, 60-second videos. Or maybe it was, like, two-minute videos. I don't know. Where they had an opportunity to record themselves and just say a little bit about their company and their organization and how they support this particular audience and this community. So before we would kick off the session that they sponsored, we would play that video and then we would dive into our content. One other one we used was Poll Everywhere because that allowed, wasn't there a gamification? We did kind of like a quiz and in the end it ranked people who also does this, but that allowed the sponsors to give the prizes to like the top three people or things like that. Ideally in the end, if you're trying for brand awareness, you want to help sponsors get their faces and their names out there. So like we were talking about the pep rally, a sponsor could always host a pre-event virtual coffee break or icebreaker or a pep rally or whatever. They could always send Starbucks gift cards to try to get everyone there together if you're doing like a coffee gathering of some variety. And our pro tip for this portion is to make sure you've tested your videos one million times beforehand and that you have them available on a host computer, not the web, ready to go in case you have some um, tech difficulties. Yes. Do you think this happened to us? Because it totally did. (laughs) (laughs) Or have your sponsors present live. We thought we were going to be, this is a lesson learned, we thought we would be avoiding some of like the headache or rambling or time, you know, because you don't want someone rambling and running over their time and then throwing off your whole agenda. So we thought we would avoid all that by just having them pre-record these and it kind of backfired. So I think in hindsight, we will probably have people present live, but we would do a little bit more prep ahead of time to make sure we understand, like make sure that they're not going to run over time and that they understand the, you know, the limitations and restrictions. The second major goal that many of your sponsors are going to be looking for is to be put in a position where they can show off some of their thought leadership or why they are knowledgeable in the industry or in the particular, you know, area of expertise in which your conference is focused on. In the past, I feel like a lot of organizations have kept sponsors out of session planning. So when you're building out your content, Sponsors usually aren't involved in that, but virtual really provides an opportunity for you to include them in the content creation, and it opens up the door for sponsorship opportunities in that realm. I think the key here is that if you're working with the right sponsors, they would rather teach than sell, so you need to give them that opportunity they have a lot of expertise and value in that industry and you need to help let them shine. 
So there's a number of different ways you can help them do that. And we'll just list off a few here. You could let them do a case study during a breakout session or an educational track. You could have let them be like an expert talking on a specific educational topic, and that could be something they put on themselves like a full session, or you could help co-present with them. They could also be a panel moderator for if you have a session that's actually panel run, they could either be they could be on the panel if they have the right expertise, or they could help moderate it and drive the discussion along if that's their area. I actually really like the panel moderator and keynote speakers that we did at Create and Cultivate. That's like the last conference I had been to, so that's what I go to every time. But that was really fun to be able to like change it up every or every session, and it wasn't just so like, all right, we're gonna have one person go through a slide, and you're gonna hear the same person for the next hour. It's a nice way to break things up, so it might be nice to have the sponsors included in that, or it could be a Q and A like chat moderator type of breakout. Those probably have been more successful virtual, I think, than in the past. And then breakout rooms. Breakout rooms are something that Zoom and Teams are starting to get pretty involved in because I think it's been almost requested at this point. I know Zoom had it for a while and now Teams is like, all right, fine, I got to offer it. <laughs> so it's, I actually tested it out last week and it went really well. Yeah, because if you're having like these small more, if you break people off into these small groups for more like intimate conversations and diving into the details or problem solving and like really drive networking, if usually these rooms need facilitators, I think that's a huge, huge success factor and bringing your sponsors into that as long as they have the right skill sets is it can be really helpful for them because then they get to hear these people talk they get to hear about their challenges they get to hear what you know their prospects real world is like and that can be really beneficial i will add a caveat here that breakout rooms can be really freaking awkward like if you get a bunch of duds in a room you're just like i don't know what to do with this and people just sit there and in awkward silence so having a really good facilitator to kind of draw like information out of them or ask the right questions is really important. You should also prep your sponsors appropriately though to make sure they know this isn't like a, unless that's the intended purpose, it's not a sales breakout room. They shouldn't just be selling their product or pushing their agenda. It really is meant for them to help listen and then understand the attendee challenges so that they can know how their product could help solve some of those challenges. And a few other ones are if they have a like a white paper or research, they could potentially have a breakout session on any of the key findings from that, or they could do some kind of pre or post event content. We actually did this with one of our sponsors this year where they sent out a few emails on our behalf before and then after the conference to help one to promote attendance and then to help promote some of the joint content and sessions that we had done. Plus we highlighted them in some of the, in one of the sessions that we had. So. So then another idea is that they could also sponsor some sort of award. So like if you have some sort of specific role or esteemed position in your industry, it could be like an educator of the year or you know, 
salesperson of the year or whatever it is, you could set up some, some, some sort of awards program where you announce the winner at the event and you could have some a sponsor sponsor that program. I actually did hear of a cool idea where someone, they were doing an award, but they were doing it like publisher's clearinghouse style. So a few people, if the person allowed it, the person who won the award, a few people were going to go to their house with like, I don't know if they actually had the big check and balloons, but some kind of celebratory thing. And they were going to surprise the person and like capture that moment on video so they could share it at the conference. And then I think they were kind of creating a little promo video around it for that person based on all the like the submissions that they had received for that person to receive the award, which I thought was kind of cool. If pulled off right, I feel like it could be really fun. I totally want to do an awards program for our event this year now. Like I want to find a way to like make somebody feel amazing and like super excited. I feel like we talk about it every year and then Same. the conference <laughs> sneaks up on us and we don't have enough time to make it happen. And we're like, oh, we should have done this six months ago. I work with subscription boxes for freelance and one of the things that they did to generate interest and stuff was what they called a golden ticket. So they would put like five golden tickets in the boxes that are getting sent out randomly. And then whoever won it got some award or got a call out or something. So you could do something like that if you're going to do a box. You just have to think through the logistics because I suggested a golden ticket for our event and it was poo-pooed. But that was because we had to print a certain number of boxes and we didn't know how many attendees and like the golden ticket could have ended up in one of the boxes that didn't get mailed out or something like that. Or we didn't, I don't know, people still didn't update their address appropriately. So we got some boxes back in the mail. I thought it was still a good idea. You could have more than one golden ticket. Odds are someone's going to win, right? But yeah, anyway. I mean, I guess I get it if there's like a thousand attendees or something but I think with the level of attendees we have it probably would have been fine but whatever you just can't pull a Michael Scott and put them all in the same shipment that goes to Blue Cross Blue Shield of Pennsylvania <laughs> <laughs> for all those office lovers out there all right well moving right along goal number three would be to meet and qualify potential leads. So there are a variety of goals that sponsors could be looking for going into an event, but I feel like the underlying of everything, whether they're upfront and center about it typically, is to get a lead or some opportunities coming out of the event. So if the sponsor is looking to qualify leads from your event, help get them involved with conversations when there are Q and A's or like round table sessions or things like that. Just allow them to get involved. No one wants to be like, I don't know, the person in the corner trying to hard sell someone. Everyone appreciates and benefits from like a genuine and authentic conversation. So you wanna help meet your sponsors where they're at. And if that's their goal, just help them get in contact with as many people that you think would be a good fit for them as possible. And they'll appreciate it. And I feel like your authenticity will go a long way. One of the things I just learned about today, which I thought was a really cool concept, is um, the reverse trade show. I guess maybe I've never heard it called this. Is And this can be a really good way to help your sponsors meet attendees and meet qualified leads. So it's basically just... I mean, it is what it is, like the reverse of a trade show where your attendees are at tables or at booths 
and then sponsors come in and go to the different tables and like meet but this would be in like breakout rooms this wouldn't be like a traditional reverse trade show you would have to do it in like breakout rooms or you know in another virtual environment but it's basically the opposite where you just put people into these groups and then a sponsor comes to them versus the other way around so that's another way to help help them meet leads I another cool one which i don't think we did but you could allow your sponsors to poll attendees ideally they would have some kind of meaningful question they want to ask and you could use a polling feature to ask attendees and that could help them better qualify prospects so obviously something you'd have to work with them ahead of time to figure out but that data could be really meaningful for them in the end and even for you getting them getting your sponsors involved in conversations i think is really important because ideally when people i mean people go to conferences not only to learn but also to network so whenever there's any type of like q a or roundtable sessions or breakout um, like breakout conversations find ways to get them involved whether it's the facilitation or what have you that allows them to have conversations with potential prospects and actually, it does mean that when you do these breakout rooms, you should have smaller groups within the breakout rooms. That way they can actually have dialogue and conversation. Because when your group size gets too big, it kind of stifles conversation because people are either too shy to speak up or they don't want to speak in front of that many people or not enough people have the opportunity or time to, to talk. And it's hard to tell when you have... I feel like if you have over five people, when it starts getting into like six, seven people, it's hard to tell when someone's going to talk and you might be waiting for that opportunity. So I definitely agree if you have the smaller breakout sessions, like, so what's the typical grid for like teams in Zoom, like four people when you can actually see everyone's face. I feel like when you start getting over that, that's when it starts getting a little bit difficult. But then you can go into together mode. <laughs> I'll together it's better, but it's better in Zoom. Zoom, you can have like, I don't know, up to like, what, 25 people on your screen? Something crazy like that. Um, yeah. Teams is kind of annoying when it comes to extra people. I mean, we still struggle and it's five of us and we, we do our hand raising or we do the, <laughs> you know, the button where it says that we want to talk because then it's like somebody can move on to another point and then your point is lost and it's hard to go back to that point. So it's, it's always going to be a struggle virtual. Agreed. Another thing that you can do is they can, your sponsors can po post, ugh, they can host these like pre or post lunch and learns or coffee breaks or happy hours, obviously all virtual, but they can be things that kind of extend your event where in the days leading up to the event, maybe there's a quick lunch and learn or some sort of like chat like chat and coffee. I feel like there's like a cool name for that, but I can't think of what it is. Like, I don't know, coffee chats. There we go, sure, coffee chats. <laughs> coffee, <laughs> super creative. <laughs> or you could do some sort of like virtual happy hour that they can sponsor and you know, people get together, you know, at five and bring their own glass of wine or what have you. So you can, it doesn't have to be during the confines of your event. It could be like a pre or post that kind of extend your event out and also keep your your attendees engaged with you and your brand as well beyond the, the specific event. 
also if they choose to do like a lunch and learn, the sponsor can use that opportunity to send like an e-gift card such as like Grubhub or DoorDash that allows the people attending that lunch and learn to order in food or what have you. Because very, I mean, often at an event, attendees don't have to pay for their own meals. It's included in their ticket. So being able to provide something like that that kind of simulates the experience is helpful. So the last goal, if your sponsor wants to move leads along the sales funnel, one idea is that the sponsor could, for lack of a better word, sponsor tickets to the event for their hot, hot prospects or for other, I don't know, attendees, which I think is kind of cool, kind of like a benefactor thing so that if there are people who can't afford to attend the conference, then it can be like a sponsored ticket that allows you to still attend and gain the information. But secretly you could like, I don't know if like supersedes the right word. Essentially you could like select specific attendees to either offer it to or to allow them to be the benefactors. I don't know if that makes sense, but. You could also, so I think you can do this two ways. So Sarah, what I'm hearing is, I guess this is, this is a really good idea and we should do this this year. We did not, we have not done this one in the past, but this is a good idea. There's really two ways I think you can go about this. I think because we have people who reach out to prospects and are inviting them to the conference and trying to sell tickets. And we often hear that, oh, no, I don't have budget for this or our, our professional development budget was cut or, you know, all these other reasons why they can't purchase a ticket where you can then provide them a coupon code or something to buy for a free ticket. And you can say, thanks to one of our sponsors or thanks to X sponsor, you know, we have some free tickets that we're able to give out and we would like to extend one of those to you since, you know, you can't, this isn't in your budget. So that can be a good way to give them exposure, but you could also give them a certain number of tickets for them to reach out to their prospects with to give away for free. So they can kind of come in and be the hero to their, you know, their prospect list. I just want to say, I feel like this is such a good idea and I don't know why we haven't done it. Like I added I this idea and now I'm like, but we've never done this. Why haven't we done this? Why haven't we done it? I don't Cause know. Because ideas are easier than execution. That is why. I also agree. I feel like that is something really valuable that they would appreciate and, and they would just enjoy that opportunity while benefiting both you and the sponsor. Mm-hmm. Another thing that they could do or that you could do for your sponsor is to offer them a breakout room where they can showcase or demo their specific product or service. That way that that way that gives the attendees the opportunity to go see something that they're interested in without forcing your entire audience to see that, which I feel like would be appreciated in both ways because then the sponsor doesn't have to worry about all these people who aren't interested in their product and people who might not be a good fit and whatnot. Then the attendees aren't forced to see something that they might not want or simply that just would not work for them. So I feel like that's a good two-way street. I would actually take that to the next level. And we actually had a conversation about this today. So this is ironic, but we you can ask each of your sponsors who want to have a space where they can showcase or demo their product or service to share one unique like differentiator or cool feature that they have, something they think that will like grab people. And then 
you as the event host can promote that in your emails and in your agenda promotions and all of that to get people to sign up for a particular room that they go to during a certain time during the event, meaning it doesn't overlap with your content. Because I think anytime you have content and exhibit competing, it's not going to work because people will usually go to the content and learning sessions versus going to talk to a sponsor. So we were saying maybe, maybe each sponsor create one to two minute video on a very specific, maybe cool or new feature or something that they're offering to the market that might be of value. And then ahead of time, attendees can sign up and register to attend their specific breakout room or session during off hours. So maybe you start your event at 1 p.m. Maybe you host this event, this sponsor demo feature at noon over lunch and they bring lunch in or something like that. Or give a Grubhub you know, gift card, not bring lunch in because it's virtual. <laughs> that was one of my favorite comments when people filled out our virtual event survey and they're like, lunch was great. And I was like, that's funny because we didn't provide you with any lunch. So glad you enjoyed it. But <laughs> going on top of that, like either in place of what Charlotte was talking about or on top of it, sponsors could create like a calendar link and that could send, it could either live in their booth, it could go out via an email, or if they attend some kind of new session feature, product demo, whatever, Attendees could then sign up for one-on-one -on -one meetings if they want to learn more or continue the conversation. I feel like Calendly is like a no-pressure way to sign up for a time on someone's calendar. And again, they can do it outside of the conference hours so that they're not overlapping with content. And I don't know if we have a great idea for this, but trying to find ways to reimagine the expo hall because I think we already kind of knocked it earlier in this episode where that one echo virtual thing tried to reimagine I feel like the expo hall and it was cool but also it was a little more complex and then we've seen very simple ones where it's literally just a list of the sponsor name and you click to their website which I don't think is super helpful unless you have some attendee analytics and data on it on who is clicking and going there Otherwise, I do feel like you have to have some kind of space in your virtual platform or app where sponsors can upload their promo and their info and video or collateral or links. We let people do basically whatever they wanted. I do think it was cool when they had a video, some kind of personalized video, because I feel like that was a little more entertaining and engaging to watch than just going there and clicking a whole bunch of links. It does bring me to another point where if you use a virtual app or platform, you should be able to get data from that event to provide to your sponsors. So you should be able to tell how many attendees visited their quote unquote virtual booth and who they were and how long they were there for, what materials they clicked on and downloaded. And that's all information that sponsors are going to care about. So make sure you promote that in your sales deck and when you're talking to them, because people are going to want to be able to see that and they're going to want to follow up on those hot leads and prospects and help move them down the funnel. That is really valuable data. And if you provide that to someone and they don't know what to do with that, then it's their loss. You've done your part by providing it to them. It's their job to take it to the next level and leveraging it to um, its fullest potential. And they'd be silly not to do anything with that. 
they would be silly. So silly well, not to do anything with it. I was going to say another S word, but I didn't feel like stupid was very nice. <laughs> when you said another S word, I wasn't thinking of stupid. I was like, they'd be really shitty, shitty to do that. <laughs> they'd be You're shitty. Like, that wouldn't be that. nice. Oh, gosh. You actually made me think of a task that I need to follow up with somebody with when you were saying that. So thank you, Katie, for <laughs> reminding me of something I need to do in my real job. <laughs> Shall we wrap this baby up? So with that, we just want you to make sure that you're walking away with a few key takeaways to implement or take into consideration if you're hosting your own virtual event and you're looking to solicit sponsorships. So the first takeaway we have for you is sponsorships are not a one size fits all deal. Make sure you're picking up the phone and asking your sponsors what their goals are and what they're looking for and then match your options that fit their needs instead of squeezing them into this box of what you think a sponsorship should look like because budgets are different across the board and the entire virtual environment makes everything so different. Also want to make sure that you're understanding the goal that the sponsor is having because that's key to know that they're going to actually want to sponsor you again. We've clearly maybe run into this issue a little bit with our past one, so we're hoping that we can learn from this mistake that we are taking into know what they need going forward. Okay, and number three is remember that things will evolve as you go, so be sure to communicate any changes to sponsors because no one enjoys being left in the dark. Think about how you would feel if you were a sponsor at an event and someone wasn't communicating with you. And number five is get creative. You don't have to stick to the standard sponsorship items. Be sure to set up a brainstorming session with all of your people and put it all out on the table. Throw anything at the board, see if it sticks. I feel like with virtual, the options are endless. If you have awesome sponsorship ideas, please send us an email at whiteboards at gmail.com because we're always trying to collect and use new sponsor ideas. So, that was actually number four, Sarah. So with that, I feel like we've had enough wine. You said Did number I not say four. You said, I said number four. five. Oh, um, so it wasn't I think number five. I think we've had enough wine and enough fun for today. So we're gonna wrap this up, and we will talk <laughs> to you next time. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Wine and Whiteboard Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for listening to the Wine and Whiteboards Podcast. For show notes, links, templates, and other resources, visit our Instagram page at Wine and Whiteboards Podcast. And while you're there, follow us to get more hacks and occasional wine-themed humor. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would take a minute to leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you can continue listening to our marketing tips and design tips. Cheers! Cheers.